Thank you for tuning in to the Practical Preservation Podcast. Please take a moment to visit our website, practicalpreservationservices.com, for additional information and tips to help you restore your historical home. If you've not done so, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and also like us on Facebook. Welcome to the Practical Preservation Podcast, hosted by Danielle and Jonathan Kepperling. Kepperling Preservation Services is a family-owned business based in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, dedicated to the preservation of our built architectural history for today's use as well as future generations. Our weekly podcast provides you with expert advice specific to the unique needs of renovating a historic home, educating by sharing our from-the-trenches preservation knowledge and our guests' expertise, balancing modern needs while maintaining the historical significance, character, and beauty of your period home. Today on the Practical Preservation Podcast, I have Kelly Parks with me uh, from Paris Gibson Realty. Uh, Thank you for uh, joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about your background. Well, I have been a licensed uh, real estate broker in Montana since 2002, and I've been restoring historic homes for over 30 years. Very cool. Um, So what made you focus on historic homes? Well, that's a really good question because most of my family prefers modern, you know, contemporary architecture. (laughs) So I sort of fell off the the, the turnip wagon, as they say, and I just love uh, history and historic homes and ancestry information and everything. So I'm like the, uh, I'm the, I'm the black sheep of the family because I restore everything. And oh, I keep that, everything too. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's something else that I've noticed that, that people who aren't into older homes tend to want to just get rid of stuff too. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. It's crazy. You know, I, I keep everything. It's, uh, it's becoming a bit of a problem now with all the restorations I've done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can believe that. So, so tell me about uh, Paris Gibson Realty. Well, Paris Gibson Realty, I started that a few years ago. I used to own a, a real estate company. That was the name of the city that I live in. And um, I, my brokers wanted to buy it. So I sold it to them and I started Paris Gibson Realty because And the name came from the Paris Gibson mansion that I own, which is a historic mansion that was built in 1890 by the founder of our city, Paris Gibson. Oh, no. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can. You went away for a second. I heard you say 1895, and that was the last thing I heard you say. Oh, okay. Sorry. We... Nope, that's okay. uh, (laughs) My goodness. Yes, uh, so Paris Gibson was the founder of Great Falls and he had a house built in 1890, which is the Gibson Mansion. It was the original mansion in Great Falls. The the uh, materials came out on the train very much like the craftsman style homes, but this predates that because it was in the Victorian era. Right, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's one thing that I think that people don't necessarily realize about that that's how the Victorians were able to get so fancy was that they were starting to mass produce housing pieces at least not you know not the not the whole construction but the the trim and the ornament so that yeah but but that's very interesting did that did it come from the east coast then the the pieces they did yes in fact oddly enough I saw 
I saw a very, very similar house in um, Ontario, Canada when I was visiting. Oh, and it had, yeah, it had a very similar porch. And that's actually how I figured out it was a kit because the lady that owned the house told me. And, and then I started researching and those magazines or the books that they used to mail out to order your yes. home. You can't really find all of them all the time. So I haven't really found the company, but it could have been Aladdin or, you know, one of those mm -hmm. companies that did that. And they were mass produced and that's how you get all the ornamentation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, um, do you serve a certain geographic area? Um, I'm licensed in the state of Montana as far as real estate, as far as historic uh, renovation, um, consulting in the in the sense of uh, negotiating purchases or, you know, how to purchase stuff like that. Um, I kind of work globally. Okay. Okay. Very good. And then, do you focus on his, just historic properties in general, or a certain time period? No, I kind of go all over the board in that respect. Um, I like Victorian. I mean, I like the, you know, neoclassical, Greek revival, you name it. I like it. Craftsman. I mean, I just, I, I just think they're all fantastic and they're, they're all unique to their time period. Yes, and yeah. they're, they're very um, culturally significant also because, you know, that's craftsmen are like how people started out with their little houses and, you know, and then of course they got a little more elaborate depending on the income, but I just, yes. I just find it deeply fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, so what are some common mistakes you see when um, someone is purchasing a historical home? Well, I see a lot of them actually. I, and I get a lot of emails, you know, about that because people purchase houses and they don't, they don't have any idea what they're doing and then they don't really have a budget. And <laughs> the thing is, a cheap house is great if you know what you're doing and you know you have a plan, but it's not great if you don't know what to do and don't have a budget for it or a rough idea like, you know, okay, I'm going to buy this house and it's going to cost me a couple hundred thousand and, you know, fine. But if you have no idea, then that's where you really need to hire a consultant because, right. um, I mean, I can't stress that enough and that's the biggest mistake that I see. In restoring in restoring properties you have to be able to have someone to guide you and their networking and the things that they that they bring to the table are well worth the price and yeah. and that doesn't mean architects or engineers you know i'm talking historic preservation consultants specifically because they they know where to get things they know how to do things right and they can help you and guide you to make sure that everything you do is complementary to the era I, I agree with you. I, we see a lot of, a lot of people make that mistake and, and then I not having a plan and, and not having a plan involves both, you know, people who do things in the wrong order. So then they have to redo things. So that's costing yes. us twice as much or, you know, getting so overwhelmed, they don't even know where to start. Like, and it's just like, they get stuck. Um, that's a and, huge, that's a huge yeah. problem. I mean, honestly, yeah. you know, where yeah. do you start? I mean, that's yeah. a gigantic problem. I see that all the time. Yeah. So I, I'm glad that you are you are um, able to help people um, kind of figure out how to tackle that too, based on you know your experience with um, with doing your own projects. Well, um, I think you you have to have the experience. I mean, like when I started 30 years ago, you know, we didn't really have the internet and we didn't have all the networking opportunities that the internet offers. Right. So I kind of it was like a scratch and sniff story for me. I mean 
you know, I had to find out things and, and I made a lot of mistakes. So hopefully, you know, people can learn from that because they were very expensive. Right. Yeah. So sometimes mistakes are very expensive. That's I think I should true. have my PhD in mistakes for historic <laughs> renovation. I'm pretty sure that's, I'm eligible for that. <laughs> <laughs> so just give it to you the, based on life experience. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 100%. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, so tell me a little bit about some of the properties you've renovated. I know on your website, you mentioned the, the Paris Gibson mansion and the upper camp to the Missouri river, um, Lewis and Clark expedition. I've done quite a few, actually. The, yeah. um, those are the two properties that I own. Um, okay. Gibson mansion was, uh, as I said, you know, built in 1890 by Paris Gibson, the founder of great falls, his son, uh, Theodore Gibson, um, and his wife, lived here because Paris was also uh, a state senator. And so he was, or he was a senator, excuse me. And so traveling all over and, you know, he'd pop in and then they also had a house in Minneapolis. Um, but this house was a nineplex when I bought it. And literally, oh the yeah, the ugliest house on the street. I mean, I, it's funny because I showed my daughter, my daughter is 17 and I showed her some pictures of what I started and what it looked like. And she said, mom, why did you bother? You know, <laughs> that was really encouraging. So I'm not sure my daughter, I think she likes historic preservation, I hope, but um, you know, she, she's enjoying the benefits of, of that. So yeah, right. I mean, it was a nine flex or nine separate apartments and the front porch had been converted into a bedroom and the back porch had been converted into a um, bathroom. So I had to tear all that out. They had stuccoed it, they took the power down you know, blah, blah, blah. So I, I had a huge amount of work, but the original bones inside the house and the room configurations had not ever been changed. And so that I was very grateful. Yeah. 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 That, that's very, um, that's, that's very fortunate. Oftentimes we'll see in the Victorian houses where they'll take the main staircase and block it off so that, you know, you can, you know, make apartments on the lower floor and have them separated. So that's great that they didn't change the floor plan at all. The secret staircase, the maids, the servant staircase, oh, yeah. in the house, it was turned into a pantry. I didn't even know there was a, a second staircase when I bought the house. I mean, I saw the house for like five minutes and I just said, oh my gosh, I have to have it. Um, so we pulled, there was a bathroom on top of that. We pulled it out and what a revelation. The other thing that is really significant is that when we opened that second staircase up, the house, it was in the summer, the house cooled down. So the oh. airflow yeah that of the victorian houses is incredible it i mean is, the way yeah. they design them for airflow which people forget you know that's why they want to make all these modifications but you have to be really conscious not of just appearance but also other qualities yeah. comfort yeah. yeah they they understood what it was like to live without air conditioning because there wasn't any so they they yeah. did they built they built to that um, and, you know, the windows opening and operating and, and being able to have a have a um, cross ventilation is so it's so important. It does make the house, you know, fairly comfortable. We we um, tend to unless it's really hot, tend to live without air conditioning in our house just because I love having the windows open and the and the ventilation going. Uh, yeah, I know. And I agree with that. Like, but what I did do a big mistake was I didn't put in double hug windows when oh, I redid the windows yeah. in this house, you know, it had been an apartment and they were in kind of bad condition. Right. And I'll tell you what, I super regret that because the thing is the double hums, you can open the top and the hot air goes out. Right. Yeah. So I struggle with that now and I'll probably, you know, redo the windows again, just to help 
that because I am not a huge fan of air conditioning and I don't have air in this house. So it stays very, very cool by itself, oddly enough, but that would really help a lot. It would, it would, it would, yeah, that, that, that flow of air. And so the, um, the upper camp to the uh, Missouri River Lewis and Clark expedition, is that like, uh, is it a house or is it more no, like a? Yeah, that's just a property. It's the okay. camp where they camped and the iron boat is located. Um, I had National Geographic come out. Um, um, Fred Hebert is the, one of their lead archaeologists and he was out here several years ago with Michael Parfett and we were doing, you know, some sampling and stuff like that and then we kind of got to a point where it was sort of inconclusive, although the iron samples I did send um, and they tested were very similar to that of Harper's Ferry, which is okay. where the iron boat was made. Right. So, you know, if they come back out, then perhaps we could figure that out. Yeah, yeah the, um, in Lancaster, where I am in Pennsylvania, um, the, uh, uh, the Preservation Trust um, of the, for the county, is um, the Ellicott House, and it's um, that's that he was actually a, a navigator who taught them how to map before they left. Oh, that's then, really interesting. And then on the west coast, um, my grandparents had a beach house um, on the Oregon coast, and my first national park was to where they where they landed on the on the west coast. So I feel a connection to, to the. Oh Lewis yeah, well, well yeah. so where I'm located, where I'm located is where they got the bad news, there was no Northwest Passage. Like, this oh no, yeah, <laughs> so they had so, to kind of figure out a plan. Right, like I, Great Great Falls, Montana is like, oh, well, geez, there really is no Northwest Passage. So now what do we do? So this was like the kind of end of the big dream here. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so um, tell me about your work on the City County Historic Preservation Commission. So we have uh, the city um, and the county kind of have a historic preservation advisory commission. And I was appointed by the city commissioners and I, I can't even remember what my term was, like three or five years or something. I termed out of that. And then the county um, appointed me and then I termed out of that. And then, and then I thought, well, I, I've sat on so many boards over the years that I think I'll just go crazy and do my own thing for a little while yeah did was that um um were you like approving changes that people wanted to make and things like that was it that that type of like advisory panel? we don't have we don't have that much regulation in great Falls. okay okay what, what we did and and what i did in particular was like threaten to chain myself buildings <laughs> that they wanted to tear down so you know I mean I get a little radical with my ideas and um and we did we saved quite a number of buildings we had like um different companies that wanted to tear old you know houses down to replace them with um modern you know low-income houses which is fantastic the problem is in doing that you're losing history so right. I would have to really you know I campaigned pretty hard on behalf of these historic properties so I'm I'm a little radical, if you will, in that sense for this area, because Montana is sort of the last, you know, best place in the old West. So right. I just adopted those philosophies and off I went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I, I, cause I know I was born in, I was born in Colorado. And so I can imagine that like the, the East coast is so, you know, so different, uh, um, uh, 
now I was going to say, um, when you dig in the ground, and I, that's not the right word, architecturally. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's not the right word. That's not the word I want to come out. Um, but, right, you know, right. I imagine that Montana is even more so because, you know, there's been less population. So has there been less development then, or is it is it getting pretty developed? Oh, no, geez. We, we, we just finally, like a couple of years ago, got a million population for the whole right. state. Yeah. So like, there's like, we live literally in the middle of nowhere. I mean, um, Bozeman and Kalispell now have direct flights from New York and Los Angeles, and they are seeing, you know, population explosion, but right. I'm in, you know, North central Montana. And really, we are in the middle of nowhere. We have an international airport that used to have international flights, and it doesn't anymore. So you know, we, I think we gained 2000 people this last pop, this last oh, in the, in the past 10 years. <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's yeah. a lot. 2000 yeah, people yeah. was, I mean, we shrunk, you know, we had like 70,000 then we went down to 50,000 and, and now we're up by 2000. So I guess you could say, yes, it's progress for us. And that's a huge explosion of population for us. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what, what uh, trends or challenges do you see in, in preservation? I think the, I think there's a trend, a, a good trend where people are taking a second look at historic buildings, both, you know, mm -hmm. residential and commercial. And I think that they're realizing, hey, you know, they're made with true dimension lumber. They are, they're really structurally well, well made. And you, you can't duplicate that anymore. I mean, those materials are gone and they're never coming back. So I think you can add the modern amenities to historic homes and keeping their character and have a fantastic, you know, have a fantastic property. And I think more and more people are learning about that. And then with the internet and, and now the help of consultants that people can find, I, I just think it's positive. I think I'm very excited. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that um, the internet allows people to find find information. Not all of it's good, but but I think you, if you dig far enough, you can find some really really good information. And and the the I my I always say that you know a, a useful building is one that will be preserved. So I'm not I'm not one that's advocating that everything needs to be you know a museum, but it needs to you know retain the original features and reuse the building. You know, I think that that's really, you know, important for people, that, people to hundred percent agree. And that's what yeah. I do. I mean, I don't think you have to live with, you know, the old kitchens and the old whatever, but yeah. I mean, you can, you can certainly um, put modern amenities in them, but the structures are kind of preserving the history. And yes. so I think that that's really important. And I think you have to be really thoughtful about what you do, you know, especially with additions or, you know, stuff like that. And, and that's where I think people need a little guidance. And, and a lot of times historic properties are, are inexpensive. I mean, because they need a lot of work, you know, knob and tube wiring was, was great. in you know, at the turn of the century, right. But then people spliced into it and then they, you know, that causes big problems. So then, you know, just stuff like that. I mean, you have to be aware of things like that. Yes, you do. You do. And, and, um, and, and don't let don't let the insurance company know there's knob and tube wiring. We had we had knob and tube wiring on the second floor in our house. We thought it had all been upgraded, but then we had a water issue from the roof, and we had to take our the plaster down on our ceiling. And we discovered the knob and tube wiring. And when we let our insurance company know as part of the claim, they were like, "Oh, if we had known that, we would have never insured you." 
that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And, and people often overlook that. And it's really interesting uh, because in Montana, I, I, you know, talk to other agents and, and, and other brokers and they're like, oh, you know, well, if there's a little knob and tube, it's no big deal. And in fact, I turned down buying a sixplex, a historic sixplex building down the street here for that very reason, because it had been, um, it had mostly knob and tube, but then it had had some, you know, Romex. Right. The problem is that I said, how can you get insurance on it? And they just didn't tell their insurance company. But the right. thing is, they knew it. So at the end of the day, if insurance can prove you knew it and didn't disclose it, they're not going to pay the claim. Right. Yeah. We, we didn't know, but yeah, it was, yeah, it is. It's, it, it, it's a, it's a, it's a problem. And, and that's one of those things that nobody has x-ray vision to be able to see. And if the previous owner doesn't tell you everything that went on, you just can go by the assumptions of what you see. Well, and a lot of people don't know, and, and a lot of people discovered in the way that you did and you don't right. know. So you can't disclose what you don't know. Um, the problem is when you do know that, then you have to do something about it because insurance, they don't want to have anything, you know, like 10 right. years ago, it didn't matter. But now you're pretty adamant about, you know, we will not insure an obituary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, as we've talked, um, is there anything that you've thought of that you want to share before we kind of wrap up with the last couple questions? Um, I think that... No, not really. I mean, okay. I, I, you know, I'm just kind of uh, really pro uh, historic renovation and, and doing it right and at least doing it thoughtfully. Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. So is there anything that you would like to uh, promote uh, to our listeners? Well, the only thing I really am ad adamant about and would like to promote is, you know, historic renovation. Don't be afraid. I mean, even though, you know, I'm, I'm saying get a consultant and do all these things, it's still a very rewarding and fun process. And I think the thing is you're preserving history. So, yeah, I mean, I could talk about myself and my real estate company, but that's not interesting. What's interesting to me is, you know, hey, you know, they're going to restore this this property. That That's what gets me excited. I think it's fantastic. And it doesn't matter where it is. I mean, it can be anywhere in the country or in another country. I mean, I just think it's fascinating. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with you. Um, and if our listeners were interested in, in uh, contacting you, you know, regarding either your negotiation um, services or your consulting, how, how would they get a hold of you? Well, you can, I, I have an email, Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y at parisgibson.com. You can always shoot me an email. Um, you know, you're welcome to text me too, but um, email probably is the best way initially to get in touch with me. Uh, but my phone number is 406-788-6826. And um, generally, I answer my phone unless I'm on it uh, or literally out in the field or, you know, riding my horse or something. But well, even <laughs> then I answer, even then I answer the phone because this is the the wild west so you know you still have to take your modern tools with you <laughs> yes <laughs> well thank you thank you so much i i appreciate you spending time to talk to me today and i i enjoyed um i enjoyed our conversation well thank you i enjoyed it too i i just i think it's very encouraging and and i just think it, historic preservation i can't say enough good things about it i mean i just i i'm addicted to it well, I think that there are much worse addictions. <laughs> well, yeah, at least I probably won't have to go to rehab for that. So, right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Practical Preservation Podcast. The resources discussed during this episode are on our website at practicalpreservationservices.com forward slash podcast. If you received value from this episode and know someone else that will get value from it as well, please share it with them. Join us next week for another episode of the Practical Preservation Podcast. For more information on restoring your historic home, visit practicalpreservationservices.com.